Welcome to America This Week from the Harris Poll. I am John Gersma, and normally I'm joined also with my co-host and Chief Strategy Officer Libby Rodney. Libby's traveling, but I'm really excited to have Stephen Ross Johnson, a public health reporter for U.S. News and World Report, join us. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have you. Just as a little bit of background, uh, Stephen, as I mentioned, is a public health reporter. We've worked together with the Harris Poll and U.S. News and World Report on the most recent State of Equity in America report. And we had a forum about two weeks ago, and this is the second of two episodes we covered financial inequity last week. And we're really honored to have Stephen here, who has a, a very good angle on the public health, given uh, his work uh, with Healthiest Communities. Maybe we'll start there, Stephen. Maybe just tell us a little bit about what you do in terms of your reporting. Like I said, a public health reporter with uh, U.S. News within health, Healthiest Communities uh, section um, of our publication, which really tends to focus, um, use analytics to uh, focus our reporting on healthcare disparities. When we looked at this report, and, and uh, I was really impressed with the writing that you did on, on our data that you covered uh, recently at US News, I just wanna jump in and maybe talk a little bit about some of those disparities, because I think, Stephen, some of them were, were pretty, pretty shocking. So one of the things I thought that was quite interesting is that we found that there were nearly, nearly five in 10, it was 44% BIPOC Americans actually told us they had received poor quality in the last year. And that was a, literally a 13 point difference uh, from white Americans. Unfortunately, the same sort of story around um, having told us that they reported that they had sought a second opinion from their healthcare provider because they didn't feel like their original concerns were addressed. In fact, they felt they were dismissed. I mean, I just want to stop there and say, like, Stephen, in your reporting, are those kinds of numbers common? Is that the sort of thing you see, that there's a substantial difference sort of based on race in, in the opinions of patients? Unfortunately, yeah. The seems often seems to be the case or that's not that uh, those numbers weren't too shocking whether it's from a historical standpoint in terms of the mistrust between certain communities and the medical establishment or just what they're encountering with one-on-one -on -one with a physician or a healthcare professional there seems to be an issue where there is a uh, mistrust that continues among certain communities with uh, with healthcare and, and Stephen in your reporting have you seen is that because of implicit bias is that is that poor training on the on the behalf of the medical community is this access is this all above i think it's kind of an all of the above scenario where implicit bias does play a role especially when you're talking about the the single healthcare uh, professional talking in consultation with a single patient certain biases come in i mean everyone has biases and I think that plays a role. But also, I think that there are certain policy issues with the healthcare establishment or healthcare facility that um, need to be addressed in order to get a handle on these inequities. Certain things such as medical errors. No, that, that's absolutely the case. In fact, I'm on the board of the National Kidney Foundation, and we lobbied with research to sort of redress the, um, it's called the EGFR equation. Uh, EGFR, uh, and basically what it did is sort of saw exactly what you're just saying, which is these incredible disparities on terms of how they sort of looked at the African-American community when it came to kidney care. So you're kind of seeing that through, through the system. And I, I think we saw this also in the data, Stephen, that, that we collaborated on, you reported on, 
we did in fact find that one third of black and Hispanic uh, Americans reported experiencing or witnessing discrimination in the doctor's office or in an urgent care facility at uh, 35%. And it, you know, I thought that was on one hand really, really concerning. And then we asked this question uh, of all Americans, how much do you agree or disagree that the following factors negatively impact the quality of healthcare you receive? And the number one uh, issue with the biggest gap was race. It was racism. You know, 75% of black Americans um, said that that was their reality versus only 35%. And that's a 40 point uh, difference just right there. And the next closest thing was a 25% gap based on gender. So, you know, I mean, Stephen, just from your reporting, talk to us just a little bit more about what is the, the black experience when, when you're doing your reporting, you're talking to patients about seeking healthcare in America today. I mean, what, what are the, what's the friction? What are the, what are the feelings that, that people have associated, you know, with the system? You know, it's it's a mixed bag in in a lot of respects because on one hand, obviously there's a need, and you can't deny the need for healthcare services. But at the other hand, there is a there's a mistrust among patients when they go to seek out that healthcare. So on one hand, they you know they they're seeking services, but it's often the trust that is established and built is usually on on a very personal level, not with the establishment itself, but with they find that one person, that one healthcare provider who will take the time to talk with them, consult with them, and then really address their issues. I think the one thing that really seems to lack when, when you're talking about these kinds of issues is that there's a lack of being heard on the side of the patient. Many patients that I've talked to say that they felt like it's as if their concerns, their issues, their needs are often kind of like in one ear of the professional and out the other. So I think that those, I think that's like kind of one of the main problems or one of the biggest things I hear from patients is like just they just want to be heard. They just want, you know, and their concerns and they want to come across a healthcare professional who takes those needs and considerations of the patient and really factored into how they approach their healthcare. So it seems like also what you're saying is that it's very much a on an individual level, on a more micro level is where there is um, sort of a, a better reported outcomes for, for patients of color. It was also interesting, Stephen, in the data uh, when we talked about um, mental health, which obviously is a huge, huge topic in America today. We asked a question, how much of the following negatively impact your mental health right now? And like many Americans, your financial situation, affording your living costs, those were sort of at, at high levels. They're again higher for Black and Hispanics by about 15 points than white. But then you get into, as you just discussed, access to quality mental health care and racial discrimination and bias. I mean, racial discrimination and bias, again, was a 30-point gap between you know the Black experience and, and the white experience of being a patient. And then, shockingly, a 26-point gap in access to quality mental health care. So on one hand, Black and Hispanics are reporting the highest levels of mental health stress and also the lowest access to care. You know, again, sort of Stephen, you're reporting, you know, how are you seeing this intersection of racism and, and mental health? And are you seeing any policies or any sort of interesting ways in which hospitals or providers are sort of taking these challenges on? You know, when you talk about race and mental health, it's very interesting, the intersection between the two, because oftentimes what's been known or what's been said is that racism alone 
not just the the explicit acts, the the the, the, the big, you know, it's more of the microaggressions they, that you see on a day-to-day basis. Kind of has more of a weathering effect on individuals. That can affect not only their their mental health, but also it, studies have been shown to see it, that they it has an effect on their negative impact on their physical health as well. I think where it plays out in terms of healthcare, in terms of how healthcare providers are addressing this, is that what you're seeing more and more these days, healthcare providers trying to implement some sort of mental health service or mental health provider within primary care. So they're trying to embed. uh, So for instance, you go to an emergency department for a physical ailment. And oftentimes you'll see now in emergency rooms that not only are you that physical ailment being addressed, they'll bring in a a counselor, some sort of mental health care provider to, to talk with you as well in terms of the emotional and mental health aspects. So I think you're seeing more of that coming in where, where healthcare facilities are trying to embed uh, mental health providers within primary care and physical care. Obviously, it's not being done enough in a large right. scale, but I think um, those are positive steps forward. It seems like that also relates back to what you were saying earlier about sort of feeling heard, feeling listened to, um, is just trying to navigate uh, this experience. Another thing I, I thought in the data, Stephen, that was of great interest to note was sort of environmental health factors. And again, we saw poor, this is stated data, but poor reported outcomes for uh, BIPOC Americans than for, for white Americans. But one of the things that was quite interesting is a 24% difference in concern about climate change impacting. So black Americans uh, were 24% higher than whites, white Americans. And then while four in 10 black and Hispanic Americans report having already experienced the negative impacts of climate change in their lives, only a quarter of white Americans said the same. Another issue sort of related to that, multi-layered again, as you kind of talked about, but BIPOC Americans are also more concerned about being forcibly displaced by natural disasters, such as hurricanes, rising sea levels, again, at 77% for black Americans, 66 for Hispanics and 55% for whites. So a concern uh, across the American spectrum, but again, when you look at black and Hispanic Americans, it's just a different reality on the environmental issues as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and you know, it brings to mind something uh, during the forum that I believe you said, mentioned in terms of how some of these issues can be felt you know, by white Americans on a macro level, while among uh, people of color, it's more of a, on a micro level. And I think that this really highlights that perfectly, because oftentimes when you talk about things in about climate change and environment, those things are uh, personal because oftentimes BIPOC Americans are living in industrialized uh, neighborhoods where they get they see firsthand the um, the effects of water pollution, poor air quality, poor ground quality. Those things have real real world effects on their on their household. You know, it's not just kind of a more it's it's not more of an abstract you know in terms of you know uh, its effects on the planet because it's a it has a real effect on our home. Oh, absolutely. I was I was called to mind thinking about Majora Carter. I don't know if you know her, but she is an environmental a- activist and she led Sustainable South Bronx. And I was on a uh, was honored to share a stage with her at a, at a TED talk a few years back. And, and her work is just amazing. But she was attacking 
just the, the poor urban planning that has created the environmental health factors that you're, that you're speaking about. Well, Stephen, the other parts about this kind of are related to environmental factors is we did an analysis of trying to understand based on the black, Hispanic, white American experience, sort of where affordable health care fit in with other socioeconomic challenges. And it was interesting, clearly affordable health care is a massive issue across the nation. But for you know Black and Hispanics, crime and gun violence was number one, followed by affordable health care. And those numbers even got more stark if you were a New York City resident. Affordable health care was number four after crime and violence, housing insecurity, job access and employment and affordable health care. So, you know, I'm just curious with your reporting with Healthiest Communities, you were always talking about how do we fix the system? And yet there's so many other challenges that, that Americans on a, on a daily basis are facing that may even have greater priority. Absolutely. And I think that's where social determinants of health play in, because depending on the immediacy or the urgency, you said mentioned in terms of like gun violence and, and safety, in neighborhoods where that is more pervasive, then, you know, that's going to be a number that's going to be a, a higher concern than places where, you know, those th- those instances don't uh, don't often occur. So, I think that it's a weird dynamic because then affordability. When you talk about affordability of healthcare. Obviously, it's an important issue for all demographics, but it becomes a little more abstract for maybe for BIPOC Americans because of the immediacy of the urgency of issues regarding violence or housing or food insecurity, those types of things where, you know, it's a day-to-day struggle as opposed to whether or not I can afford, you know, to go to the doctor or afford these medications or, you know, there there are always going to be more immediate concerns in hand. Yeah, I thought that was a really fascinating uh, point when you sort of talked about social determinants uh, leading to health outcomes in your, in your, in your piece. I mean, is there any sort of policy advice or implications that sort of come out of that as you're, as you're thinking about it? Because obviously we're dealing with really systemic, interwoven, complicated challenges. But, you know, that's the thing I was struck with, even with the panels, you know, like the connection between the hospital CEOs talking about the one thing, the one way to improve healthcare is to start with education. You know, if you, if you fix education, you're going to have more people working and more people having access to, you know, to, to commercial healthcare, just as one example. But maybe you could talk just a little bit more about the social determinants. I thought that was really interesting. You know, and when you talk about health, Healthcare providers, I think they're taking a, a leading role in terms of trying to address those issues, those factors, those non-medical factors that play into health outcomes, both from more of the long-term, more upstream issues regarding like education and such, but also in the more immediate where you have, you know, a lot of this uh, healthcare health systems addressing issues regarding like food insecurity, whether, you know, you know, when a person comes in and they're sick or, you know, have an injury, you know, one of the questions they'll ask them is, you know, how much food do you have? You know, do you have regular access to food? And then if they don't, then maybe they'll uh, refer them to social services that can provide, you know, to a food bank. It's those types of issues that more and more health systems, healthcare providers are recognizing the importance that of addressing those types of issues with, in relation to their health. I mean, you can't be healthy if you don't have, if you're hungry. You know, it's it's just not positive. Right? And if you don't have a stable place to live, then it's really hard to maintain your health. And I think that those realizations are becoming more commonplace in, in, within healthcare. And I think that's uh, in terms of policy. I think that is um, carrying over 
into what's called um, a lot of times health and all policies approach to governance, where I think more and more uh, leaders are looking at that approach in terms of, you know, how can I, you know, plan, uh, do urban planning in a sense where it's going to improve upon the health outcomes of individuals, whether it's doing urban planning in terms of roadways, constructing roadways, whether it's about economic revitalization of under underappreciated neighborhoods, those kinds of issues are starting to play out and with more consideration towards health outcomes. I find that absolutely fascinating. It's Seems like, again, you know, maybe you've got some examples, but of what healthcare providers and, and hospitals and doctors, it feels like sociology is finally moving into the into the practice of healthcare, right? Yeah, it, it's, an, it, it's interesting because it's these issues have been talked about for decades. I mean, sure. by no means is this a new phenomenon. But after the, in 2020, after the protests and following the death of George Floyd, it seems like it just accelerated, just took off in terms of healthcare providers kind of recognizing more of the issues regarding structural racism and mm-hmm. its role and trying to address it. I mean, I, have to, I, I mean, I've been reporting on healthcare for years, and it's it's just I find it really fascinating that you talk to a bunch of healthcare executives in 2019 about the role structural racism played in, plays in terms of health outcomes. And there would be a strong percentage of those who even deny that structural racism even existed. Now that's no longer the case. Now there's no denying it. You know, everyone's kind of, you know, most of everyone's in agreement that it does exist. Now the conversation has moved towards what are we going to do about it and how are we going to address it? Yeah, so it's, a very, it's been a very interesting evolution over just in recent years. It's... Absolutely fantastically um, complex, and it feels like there's an acceleration that's moving. And I did again find that really interesting in the uh, in the hospital doctor panels, where they were talking about some of the poor health outcomes related to the again the the biases around how they're doing testing. I remember the example of I think they were talking about breast cancer and uh, the samples that they were using. I don't know if you could talk a little bit more about that, Stephen. But again, just sort of just completely misunderstanding uh, the sample that they're using when they're trying to diagnose uh, breast cancer in, in African-American women versus where where they should really be looking for the testing. Well, I think that there's more of a realization that, uh, you know, breast cancers, um, especially in the issue of breast cancer, when you talk about the racial disparities in terms of death from breast cancer, right now, the incident rate is fairly is, is fairly similar among black women compared to white women when it comes to the incident rate. But the death rate is just so disproportionate on the side of black women in terms of such a higher rate of death from, black, um, from breast cancer. And I think there's more, I think there's a greater realization that a lot of the research that had been done in the past regarding uh, breast cancer and breast cancer survival and things, was very um, focused more on its effects on white women. And not a lot had been done in terms of clinical research on the effects on black women. And um, it, it's, it's a subject that I've, talked, uh, that I've uh, uh, written about it before in the past in terms of whether or not uh, some of the leading organizations of this country, such as like the American Cancer Society, those who provide uh, recommendations in terms of what time, what age should a woman start to get um, uh, screened for breast cancer? Should they start to be considering um, race in within those uh, corporate race within those uh, recommendations? And um, 
it, it's a very interesting topic because a lot of organizations still are reluctant to do so. Uh, they don't feel like um, except, um, uh, basing a, uh, a guidance on race is um, is prudent at this point. You know, even despite the fact that you have um, there's a, a, a lot of black women die at younger ages from breast cancer. Than yeah, again, because the, of the data sets and the fact that they don't have the, the historical data. Exactly. You know, I thought that was interesting. The other one that was really fascinating, in a, again, in a tragic way, but I would have never thought that, that they said one of the, the reasons for the poor outcomes uh, related um, to, uh, to breast cancer with African-American women was transportation. Right. You had, again, that goes back to your point, Stephen, around sort of socioeconomics, but the ability to have access to transportation, to be able to get into your appointments, had a, had a significant impact on your survival rate. You know, it, you have one of those moments where even though you're well aware of that, you know, of, some, of, of a fact that someone says, when, it, when they say it, yeah, exactly. it, it, touch, it really brings it home to you. It's like, Wow, you know, you know, and uh, I remember that the panel, the executive panel, when that was said, transportation right. is the, you know, is the leading factor. And it's like, wow, that's, you know, that I mean, for me, who's, who's, you know, who's covered this issue for many years, that still got to me. It was like, you're absolutely right. Wow, that I mean, that's just mind blowing. That, you know, something that you would think is, or you think you feel is as small as transportation that could be addressed is something that is leads, can be a huge barrier for somebody uh, in terms of getting access. Absolutely. I think, again, comes back to your, your point earlier around how do you sort of deploy sociology and create a coordinated movement by almost, you know, being ethnographers and being in these communities and understanding these barriers in a way that's going to sort of, I think, enlighten payers and enlighten the hospitals to sort of get outside the, the walls and really understand the reality that, that people are living in. Absolutely. I think one of the positive things that is coming out of, um, you know, healthcare's um, greater uh, recognition of these issues is the use of things such as data analytics. And um, because with that, it, it, they're able to really get down sometimes into the neighbor, nature of neighborhoods into some of the uh, core data that's driving some of these disparities, whether it be a lack of transportation, whether it be um, uh, you know uh, unstable housing or, or food security within certain pockets, neighborhoods, and trying to really break it down to those core factors, and then able to pinpoint them and then able to uh, try to address those as best. So, I think you know um, the use of technology. Uh, you know, tech, uh, technological advances such as data analytics play, can play a really huge role in terms of oh, absolutely, issues. and that's obviously what what doctors look at, right? <laughs> Is the data. So, um, I, I want to close on, on on one last thing, and I thought this was sort of my, I think my favorite chart, and it was a great surprising chart because we've kind of talked for the last few minutes about all the headwinds that that people of color are facing. But what we found, it was quite surprising. This is in a, a survey that we did with CVS Health and our National Health Project, um, that, that over two thirds of black and over half of Hispanic Americans um, are concerned about their health now more since the pandemic um, versus 53% of white Americans. So the reality in the narrative is that, that um, you know, really, 
BIPOC Americans are actually more focused on their health. And that went deeper into higher numbers, um, sort of in between, Stephen, like, you know, 10 to 12 points where BIPOC Americans were saying they're making a bigger, bigger emphasis on staying more physically active, um, on meeting their health habits and goals, on trying to buy products that protect their health and their family's health more, um, and even focusing on, on more on their mental health. And so I just would love your reaction and, and, and take on that, because I think what you have is sort of a really engaged a community that is really trying to seek these services out and make better health outcomes for themselves. Absolutely, and I, and I, I think it um, it just speaks to the uh, one of the effects of the pandemic itself, during especially during the early months of the pandemic, when you saw a huge disproportionate impact on COVID nineteen on communities of color, and I think there was a realization there, recognition there that. Uh, Services, you know, the the, um, the disparity in terms of healthcare access and its effects on those communities, um, it's forced some of um, those individuals to kind of um, take it upon themselves to be, take a more active role in making sure that um, their health, they improve their health, or they become better stewards of their own health. Um, and I think that that plays out in terms of a survey after survey that you're seeing where you're seeing an increase in, um, in BIPOC Americans having more trust in terms of COVID-19 vaccination uh, vaccine as opposed to white Americans, um, you know, as, you know, as the, um, as the pandemic has persisted. And, uh, so I think that what you're seeing now is, uh, kind of, unfortunately you had to get to this point where you saw kind of these ill effects, you know, some of um, some of the gaps and some of the um, uh, cracks that were within the existing healthcare system really um, shined a light, really were apparent during uh, COVID-19, or it still is apparent during COVID-19. But I think if any, there's any positive that can come out of this, um, any silver lining is that, it, it, as you said, I think that more about Americans will um, have a more a view of their health in terms of I, I think taking a more active role in terms of the improving their own health as opposed to um, uh, I guess breaking down I guess in a way it kind of breaks down the distrust um, between um, um, these communities and the medical establishment in the sense that uh, it encourages uh, more patients to become more um, bigger players in their own healthcare, and in that respect, becoming uh, engaging more with healthcare and healthcare providers. In that sense, so if hopefully, if anything positive comes out of it, then that will be the case where um, BIPOC Americans become, you know, just um, better stewards of their own health. Stephen, I really, really thank you for your time. Uh, lastly, uh, tell tell our listeners where they can sort of get your writing and uh, anything else related to the state of equity project uh, that U.S. News and World Report is doing. Uh, well, uh, I can be reached on uh, U.S. News and World Report site uh, under healthy communities, healthiest communities, um, you know, uh, where uh, we uh, put out the content daily um, uh, on issues regarding health equity and 
uh, yeah. So yeah, that's uh, where you can that's where you can find me. That's great, Stephen. And the the state of equity in America. Uh, the videos from the panels are also up on the website, and I'd encourage yes. anyone. I think that the 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 panels were absolutely fascinating. So anybody who is interested in this topic should go a little bit deeper and hear from the CEOs, right? Yeah, I the story the stories were fine. I mean, but um, I think the video. <laughs> I think the video. I think so. You, I think I would encourage everyone to see the video of the of the uh, of the panels because I think those are really compelling. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Stephen, thank you so much. We'll, we'll leave it there. Thank you for, for joining us today. And for the second uh, special episode, uh, I'm John Gersma, CEO of the Harris Poll for America this week. Uh, we'll be back again uh, next week with regular programming with myself and Libby Rodney. If you've got any more questions, please uh, check out our, our past episodes and send us a polling question at americathisweek.com. Um, Stephen, thanks once again. Take care, everybody.